Um, we are, uh, and we're walking through, through the Bible, and we're looking at the storyline that runs from Genesis to Revelation to from beginning to end that points us to Jesus and his gospel. And, and last week in our series, we were introduced to David, who would soon become uh, <clears throat> King David, and we talked about the importance uh, of character. 1 Samuel 16, 7 uh, says that God doesn't look at the things that people look at. And, and, and when we, <clears throat> what God is saying is when he doesn't look at the things we look at, we look at, we look at strength, we look at influence, we look at power, we look at titles, we look at income, we look at wealth, we look at health, we look at beauty. Uh, we look at all these things and God is saying those are the wrong things to focus on. Those are the wrong things to become obsessed with. Those are the wrong things to find our identity in. Those are the wrong things to attach value to other people. It says that God doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And just like David, we need the Holy Spirit working in us every second of every day to produce in us kingly, godly character. Because kingly, godly character is unnatural. And so we need the Holy Spirit of God transforming us every single second of every single day into the image of Jesus. Well, today... today um, as we continue our series, we're going to talk about courage because every single one of us at some point in our lives are going to need courage if we already hadn't had that time, that we need courage. And, and today we're going to talk about this famous story of David and Goliath. I mean, it's the ultimate underdog story and we're going to see three different kinds of courage in today's story and let me just give them to you up front and we'll unpack them as we go along today but today what we're going to see we're going to see missing courage we're going to see counterfeit courage and we're going to see true courage so missing courage counterfeit courage and true courage in our story today if you have your bibles i want to invite you to turn to your table of contents and find the old testament book of first samuel this morning 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to put, throw it up on the screen for you if you didn't bring your Bible or you can pull it up on your phone. But 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning as we talk about missing courage, counterfeit courage, and true courage. How do we get this true courage in our lives? So let's talk about this missing courage. Well, a little, little background into our story. Our story opens up with the Philistine army encamped on one side of the valley and we have the army of Israel encamped on the other side of the valley and in between is no man's land. In between is the danger zone. In between is the valley of death. Now eventually there's going to be a, a, a battle and the losers are going to have to become uh, the winner's servants. And, uh, and all of a sudden out of Nowhere, out in the middle of no man's land, in the middle of the danger zone, in the middle of uh, the valley of death comes this giant named Goliath. And, and Goliath begins to taunt, he get, begins to talk a little smack, he begins to shout down uh, the army of Israel. And that's where we jump in our story in verse 8. It says, Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel... 
why do you come out and line up for battle? In other words, I know and you know that you're not going to fight. I know and you know, and I know that you know that you guys are a bunch of scaredy cats and you're not going to come down here and fight us. It says, am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Now, this wasn't a abnormal practice. This was kind of normal um, that when uh, two nations would be warring over something small, uh, maybe it was uh, a bridge, maybe it was a trade route, maybe it was a small piece of land uh, on the border, that instead of engaging all the men and all the armies and uh, losing a bunch of lives, they would send out uh, their best fighting men and they would duke it out one-on-one and whoever the winner was, was the winner of the battle. Whoever the one would get control of the bridge or get control of the trade route or, you know, assume that part of the country. And so this was kind of common practice and it wasn't out of, uh, of the normal. So it was like two men enter the, you know, enter the battle zone, one man out, okay? Two men in the octagon, one man out. Verse 10 says, Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. In other words, on the armies of Israel. That's what I think about you guys. And give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistine, Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. In other words, everybody, everyone so far is missing courage. They're a bunch of cowards. Now, Jesse, David's father, he sends young, young David to the front lines to deliver some food to, uh, to David's older brothers who were in the army of Israel uh, and also to get an update on the battle. I mean, you know, there, there, there was no Twitter. Uh, there, there was no, you know, news networks. You know, there were no newspapers. Uh, and uh, Jesse wanted to get an update. And so David, he's, you know, giving his brothers uh, the food that mom had made uh, for them. And uh, David overhears this giant shouting and taunting, uh, you know, the armies of Israel. And, and David says, who's going to shut that guy up? And, and David's big brothers are like, oh, what are you going to do about it, little Davy? Oh, rubbing his head. You're going to do something about it? You're going to do something about it? Did you bring your slingshot today, did you? And so they're kind of taunting him. And uh, in the first 31 verses of chapter 17, everyone, including Saul, has lost heart. Everyone, including Saul, has lost courage. And we get to verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, what David literally says, he he says, let no one's heart fall away. Let no one's heart be downcast. Let no one's heart fall back. And, And David, he's thinking of a battle. And the key to winning any battle in our lives is to be able to stand your ground. But in order for you and I to stand our ground, we have to have courage. And courage is doing the right thing no matter what the outcome is. Courage isn't not having any fear. Courage isn't not being afraid. 
Courage is doing the right thing no matter what the outcome may be. The essence of courage is facing down our greatest nightmare, whatever that may be. And our greatest nightmare is different for every single one of us. But the essence of courage is facing down our greatest nightmare and doing the right thing anyway, no matter how difficult it might be. So that's the missing courage that's going on in the story. But we also have this counterfeit courage. Go back to verse 4 and uh, look at this counterfeit courage um, that, uh, that Goliath uses. It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was about six cubits in a span. So basically nine feet and nine inches tall is how, how tall Goliath was, okay? I mean, he would be a lot for the number one pick in the NBA draft, okay? Um, his height was nine feet, <clears throat> nine inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Now, just in case you don't have your, uh, uh, it memorized to go from shekels to pounds, the conversion there, uh, that's about 125 pounds, Okay. So 125 pounds is how much just his, his, his armor weighed. It says, um, on his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was swung, slung on his back. And, he, and his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. And his shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, now, Goliath isn't just the villain in our story, okay? He also represents the wrong way to deal with our fear, okay? That he represents the wrong way to deal with our fear. Goliath deals with his fear, deals with fear the way the world deals with fear. And Goliath, he has these three things that he's drawing on, okay? Uh, he, has his, he has his physical skills, so he has his training and his brute strength, uh, he, he, has, uh, he has technology uh, on, his, uh, on his side that he has the latest and greatest developments in weaponry. And he also has his self-esteem. He has all this confidence because he has all this, he, he's battle-hardened, he's battle-experienced. And he's come out on top of every single battle. He's the uh, undisputed heavyweight champion, okay, of the Middle East here. And so he's got all this confidence. And Goliath's courage comes from banishing fearful thoughts by finding strength and confidence in himself. I mean, it, it's the practice of banishing all thoughts of fear and failure by looking at your own self with confidence. And that's how the world does it. The world has all these self-help books. You go, to, you go to any bookstore, the largest section in any bookstore will be the self-help section. But the problem is, and we've said this before, is self can't help self because self is broken. Self is weak. And unfortunately, this self-help you know, uh, way of thinking has entered its way into even some Christian books. Some popular Christian authors uh, are starting to talk about, hey, we need to find the strength within ourselves and be ourselves and wash our face and we can do hard things. We can't do hard things. We need Jesus to help us do the hardest of things. And, and, and Goliath's courage comes from banishing these fearful thoughts of, of thoughts of, uh, of fear and failure. And Goliath is like, you know, look at me. 
Look how big I am. Look how strong I am. I'm twice your size. I'm high tech. You're low tech. I have all this armor. I have all this technology on my side. I have all this strength and all this experience and all this training. And that's Goliath's approach. And that's pretty much the world's approach to courage. The world says you can do it. Just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, whatever that means. Just visualize your success. Rid your mind of any thoughts of fear or failure and find your inner strength. That's counterfeit courage. And this this is counterfeit courage because banishing our fears will not help us do the right thing when there's no prospect for success. That when we face difficult situations or impossible situations, we need a courage that can help us rise above those circumstances and do the right thing no matter what the outcome may be. That we need a courage that will help us walk through cancer. We need a courage that will help us walk through unemployment or financial crisis. We need a courage to help us walk through divorce and broken relationships and betrayal and loneliness and rejection. We need a a, a courage to help us walk through our biggest nightmare, no matter what that may be. We don't need something from within ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves. We need something that's bigger than us. We need something bigger than our biggest nightmare. That we need something that overwhelms and offsets our fear. So where do we get this courage to help us face down our greatest nightmare? Well, David shows us what true character, what true courage is. Look at verse 45. So David, he walks out. into no man's land, into the danger zone, into the valley of death, and he squares off against Goliath. And David says to the Philistine in verse 45, he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. In other words, you're coming at me with everything you put your trust in, everything you put your confidence in. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. See, true courage, this is how we get true courage. It's not by banishing thoughts of fear and failure, but it's getting something in our lives that's bigger than our biggest nightmare that allows us to rise above our fear. Now, Now, let's be real careful when we read this story. And let's not interject ourselves where we don't belong. Because a lot of times we hear this story, we read this story, and we'll hear it preached about, and, 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 and we'll put ourselves in David's shoes, right? And, and we'll say, oh, well, you know, I, I need to be like David. I need to have more faith. I need to have more courage. I need to, I need to have more strength. I need to, I need to face my giants because we all have, you know, we can all kind of list all these giants that we face. And, and I need to, I need to face down my giants and defeat my giants. 
A lot of preachers say this is where we need to put ourselves. And I'm guilty of saying that. Until I discovered the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus came and he lived the life that I can't live. And he died the death that I deserve. And so when we assert ourselves in the story, let's not assert ourselves in David's shoes. You know where we are in the story? We're the army of Israel. We're the ones standing on the sidelines. We're the cowards. We're the ones that need to be saved. And God sent a savior to fight for the cowardly army of Israel. God did not send David as an example. Thank God. God did not send David as an inspiration See, David doesn't say, okay, guys, you know, let's all huddle up here. Here's what we're going to do today. We're all going to rush Goliath at the same time, okay? If we all rush him at the same time, you guys, you know, y'all hit him up high. We're going to hit him down low. You know, you guys with me? We can do this all together. Freedom! David doesn't say that. He's not an example of how to fight. He's not an inspiration of how to fight. God does not send them an example. He sends them a savior. God does not save them through visualization. Let's just, you know, let's just think about, you know, the battle. Let's let's visualize us being victorious. He doesn't save them that way. He doesn't save them through inspiration, you know, through a long speech that, you know, that, you know, musters up this counterfeit courage. No, he saves them through imputation. And you're like, ampute what? No, 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 not amputation. Because that's what David does to Goliath. He amputates his head right off. That's really a cool part of the story. But through imputation. And imputation is this big, heavy theological word that we need to know. Because what it means is we get credit for what Jesus did. So we can use that. Let's put that in our heads and in our hearts. Let's use it this week. You go back to the office tomorrow. Go back to school tomorrow. People say, hey, you, how was your weekend? Oh, it was a great weekend. What'd you do? Oh, and we had grad parties or we had prom or we had graduation. But I also went to church and I learned what imputation means. Impu what? Imputation. It means that we get credit for what Jesus did. And then probably the question is going to be, well, how's that? In other words, they just asked you, how do, you know, how, do, how do I become a Christian? And they'll say, oh, here's it is, that Jesus came to live the life that we can't live and die the death that we deserve. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we get credit. God, God, God gives us credit for what Jesus did. Have you ever made that decision? But, but God, he doesn't save them through inspiration or, 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 or through uh, visualization. He saves them through imputation that they get credit for what David did. You and I get credit for what Jesus did. That God saves, God's savior is a representative. He's not an example. He's not an inspiration. He's a substitute. That David is fighting as the legal representation of the army of Israel. David wasn't just fighting for them. He was fighting as them. And they were going to be treated 
as if they had done everything that David did. In other words, if David loses his battle, they're gonna be treated as if David lost the battle. If David wins the battle, spoiler alert, he does. Uh, and, and, and when David did win the battle, they were treated as if they had won the battle, as if they had done all the fighting. And so what happens to David is imputed or credited to the army of Israel because they are in union. They are in a relationship and his victory becomes their victory. Now, what difference does that make for us today? Well, it makes all the difference for us. Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the author writes about all these great men of faith, heroes of the faith. He, you know, he talks about you know, Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David. And, but you look at these, these people and they're, they're failures, just like us. But God chose them and God worked in them and through them. And you get to chapter 12 and the author writes this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, so easily trips us up. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In other words, Jesus starts it and Jesus finishes it. Jesus calls us to himself and he transforms us and he sees us to eternity. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, well, what do you mean for the joy? There's nothing joyful about the cross. There, there's nothing joyful about being beaten and, and a crown of thorns placed on your head and blood rushing down your face and there's nothing joyful about the hot sun beating down on your naked body by the way there's nothing joyful about having your hands uh, uh, nailed to the cross and your feet nailed to the cross so what joy is the author talking about for the joy set before him he endured the cross you know what his joy was you me those who put their faith in Jesus, that was his joy. And he was happy to endure the pain of the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. God sent a better David in Jesus Christ. He sent the ultimate David in Jesus Christ. And Jesus went to the ultimate no man's land, the ultimate danger zone, the ultimate valley of death. He faced the nightmare of all nightmares. You know what that is? That's to face God at the end of our lives and to have to answer for all of our lies and all of our failures and all of our selfishness and all of our sin with our own performance. That's the nightmare of all nightmares. And Jesus faced the ultimate nightmare for us in order to save us. And God imputes, he credits our lives to Jesus and Jesus to us. And he, God, our father, treats us as if we had done everything Jesus 
did so we can have courage as we approach eternity. We can have courage, not based on our performance, but based on the performance of Jesus Christ. We can have courage no matter what the outcome may be. Whatever outcome you're facing, we can have courage. Well, I I don't know what the outcome, I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know if I'm going to get into the school of my choice. I don't know if I'm going to get the job. I don't know if I'm going to get the position. I don't know if, you know, how this battle with cancer is going to end. I don't know the outcome. That may be true, but we know the ultimate outcome. When we put our faith in Jesus, our name is written in heaven. And that's what gives us courage to face any outcome that we may face. And as the band comes and just gets us ready to respond to this, let me ask you a question. What's your biggest fear? What's your biggest fear? And what if your biggest fear came true? shared this story before but I just want to share it again not to point to me but to point to Jesus in 2005 my wife was diagnosed with cancer four months after Addie was born Addie who went to prom last night it it, it devastated me so we went through chemo and radiation and I I was crippled with fear it, it, it paralyzed me in every arena of my life we went to dinner one night with some very precious friends and after dinner Kim looked at me and she said Mark what is your biggest fear and I said Kim you you know what my biggest fear is she goes no I want you to say it what's your biggest fear I said my biggest fear is what if she dies and she says what if what if and what will you find to be true about God then that's not true today he's going to be just as faithful just as strong just as loving just as present just as comforting just as full of peace and I'm not here to tell you that the weight just went off my chest but man it felt like I got some relief and so when she did pass away I found God to be just as faithful just as strong just as present, just as loving, just as true, just as big that he ever was. So what's your biggest fear? I know some of you walk through your biggest fears this year. And it takes courage to be here right now. Some of you are walking through it right now. Take courage that we have a God that's bigger than our biggest fear. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our names are written in heaven and we can have courage.